story so far. Nehemiah, his job, he, he's a wine taster, okay? He tastes wine for the king. Uh, he's 800 miles away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the holy city. It's the, it's the central place of the Jewish nation. Uh, the, they, all these, the reason he's 800 miles away is because all the Jews were, were held in captivity. And he learns that whilst a number of people have returned to the city and they've rebuilt the temple, which is incredibly important, the walls that surround it are still broken down. And he's burdened with it. And he's called and he's sent to go back to Jerusalem, make that long journey, and rebuild the walls. Uh, and they've started building. And uh, well, like most building work, there may be trouble ahead. And there certainly was. So we're in chapter 4. We're going to read it through together. Would you? Can you read this? I know I haven't asked you to. There's bad names in it. Hard names to pronounce. There's a few. But you'll tackle those. No problems. When Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what they are building, even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know, or know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who live near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons and daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. 
Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, let every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so that they can serve us as guards by night and workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. Thank you. This is the word of the Lord. He gives it to us because he loves us. It's absolutely true. It's for us today, even though it happened hundreds of years ago. It's there to inspire us and to teach us. Uh, Nehemiah and the Jewish nation, they're at work. Nehemiah has heard the voice of the Lord to rebuild. He's allowed God to share the burden of this uh, with his people. He's prayed, seeking favor. He went to the place of need. He recruited a team. This is one man and his uh, position of leadership. He recruits a team and he shares the vision. And the people join with him. And they chose to roll up their sleeves and begin to act. And they step out into the purposes of God. Whenever we step into the purposes of God, whenever we begin to do what he's called us to, be assured that opposition will come. Whenever we step out in doing things that God has for us, be assured that it will get tough at some point. And for those of you who are new Christians, we love that. We celebrate with you that you're here with us. And, uh, but you need to know that a time is coming soon when the honeymoon period does run out. When opposition will come and life will be difficult. And I'm only telling you that because it will come. And I'm telling you that to prepare you for it, to be steadfast. This morning we're talking about standing. Standing firm, standing firm in amongst opposition that will come against us as God's people. And whenever we pursue the things of God, the enemy doesn't like it. Whenever we begin to take ground, the enemy doesn't like it. And he will seek to disrupt it. He will seek to do anything in his power to, uh, to, to change the course of what God's called us to. And the thing is that many of us know that to be true. Those of us who know Jesus, we, we've come against these things. And sometimes when life has got tough, we've actually ran away. Or we've been discouraged. Or we've been led with disappointment. And what we want to talk about this morning is dig in, dig deep, stand firm, stand together. The time will pass. Resist the devil and he will flee you. He'll go from you. He will go from you. And so in this passage, Nehemiah uh, and the people uh, of God, they encounter uh, opposition. And uh, it comes in the form of ridicule. Uh, there's a, a guy called Sambalat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite. And they both become incest with uh, what the Jews were doing. And we need to know that the Horonites and the Ammonites... Uh, they were people that possessed the land known as the promised land. So they were there and they were driven out by God when the people of Israel returned. And that's why their noses are out of joint. They were enemies to uh, the people of Israel and to the Jewish people. And they obviously get in sense, they see what's going on, they see the rebuilding that's taking place and they don't like it. 
and uh, other people groups there were mentioned, the Arabs, the people of Ashdod. And uh, whilst Sanballat stands with associates and an army of Samaria, he doesn't begin to attack physically. The first line of attack is through words, through words that are spoken, through ridicule. And here are some of the words that we just read there. What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life? And then later it says, what are they building? A fox climbing on it could break them down. The enemy comes to rob, kill and destroy. And the first line of attack is through words. Words in our head, voices that come from him that we uh, that enter in as thoughts to begin with, but words that can come through other people as well, that come to undermine and to ridicule and tear down and rip the heart out of someone. Um, our eldest boy, Sam, who's just escaped to Glasshouse, he's first year at grammar, and, uh, and, and, and uh, I hope it's okay to share this. You know, some of the stories he comes back telling you, you're just like, oh man, like I know having worked with young lads, Young lads just can tear each other apart through their words. He comes back and he says, such and such told me this today. Such and such said that to me today. I said, Sam, that is not true. That is not who you are. That is not what you're about. And it's all lad stuff. And the girls are worse. <laughs> That's true, isn't it? It is true. It is true. I've got four witnesses. It's true come to rob, kill and destroy. And I've seen it, it's crept into our house a wee bit. I notice it amongst our children. I notice it with us as well. When, when just, just sometimes subtle and sometimes brutal kind of little put downs that are said to one another in, in the home. And, and I hear it and I, 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 it cracks me up. And I say, I'm quite, I'm really stern actually. I say, in this house, we will not have put downs. That is not happening. You might have it in the playground, in our home, that is not happening. So important. Our words carry so much clout. And, uh, and the, the thing is, if we allow the words that are spoken to us, what do we do? We begin believing it, don't we? It becomes who we are. I, I know, again, I, I was telling Chantel this recently about a boy that I taught a couple of years ago. And, you know, sometimes when you're met with someone with bad behavior, it's always because of something that's happened, right? I've spoken about this before. And I remember just taking this lad aside and just saying, you see the way that you're acting, the way that you behave there and the things that you're saying there? That's not who you are. And I just began to speak words of life and words of truth about this boy. I said, this is what I see in you. And honestly, you can see the face literally change as he begins to think, Flip, is, is, it, is that really who I am? Because if we continue to listen to the voices go over and over and over that seek to rob, kill and destroy, it defines us in the wrong way. And we begin to see ourselves in the way that God does not see us. I think actually sometimes we nearly do it to ourselves. We ridicule ourselves. You know, uh, in group, uh, our group on Wednesday night, incredibly entertaining and funny. Uh, but what's said in group stays in group. And uh, so I can't share it, sadly, because it was very good indeed. Um, 
But we were talking about this thing in the 20s group, we're going to get this on Monday, uh, called the change model. It's all about change. It's all about uh, coming from the old into the new, changing and, be- and stepping into the new things that God has for us in life. And we likened it to the story of the Exodus and about how in the Exodus, the people of God, they were in captivity. They were held as slaves. They were building pyramids for years and sphinxes and all kinds of obelisks. Remember that obelisk? Isn't that great word? And, um, and, and for years, there were slaves in their captivity. And, and finally, one day, they get to go. And they've gone and they're en route to the promised land. It's a day that should have, it was a journey that should have taken eight days and they spend 40 years doing it. And into the first few days, they begin whining, going, oh, we're so thirsty. Oh, we're so hungry. And they're moaning to Moses. Can you imagine it? Oh, shut up. And, but they're, they're going, they're going. And actually, it says that they would rather have returned. They would have rather returned to captivity and slavery because at least they would have got their bellies filled. And it's like, when change is coming, when we're stepping into the purposes of God, we need to go through what's known as the squeeze. This, this time where life begins to get difficult and we begin to doubt ourselves and we begin to listen to those voices. I can't do that. Remember last time when I began to step into the things of God, what happened last time? Oh, I'm not going to do that. And we remain paralyzed, frozen, unwilling to step out. And what we're trying to communicate this morning is change is possible and we will not listen to the voices of ridicule. How did Nehemiah, goodness me, I'm going on. Nehemiah's response is this. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight. For they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. This is a prayer. This is a warfare prayer. When the evil one whispers lies to you, you simply need to say, I reject that and I make no agreement with it. That is not true. That is not right. That is not real. And that is not who I am. And so they keep rebuilding. Until the second line of attack. Second line of attack, the heat turns up. Sambalat and the lads, they see Nehemiah and the Jews mean business. And uh, instead of just words, physical threats come next. And it says this, they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. And at this point, it's not just words of ridicule. It's actually the threat of physical warfare. But Nehemiah will not be intimidated and he will not be deterred. And he says, but we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. He does two things. He prays firstly and secondly, he does something physical about it and they post a guard, a physical guard. When the enemy comes to destroy and disrupt, we must stand our ground. Not be intimidated not be deterred, not run away, not shrink back into who we were or, or whatever. We must pray and stand our ground. At the same time, it says here, meanwhile, at the same time, the people in Ju- of Judah, they said the strength of the laborers is giving out. 
and there is so much rubble. We cannot rebuild the wall. These are words being spoken by the laborers, by the people who are lifting the bricks and the mortar and carrying it. They're tired. They're exhausted. They're seeing all the rubble lying. They're thinking, oh, we're never going to get this done. The job's massive. How can we ever do this? And these voices are being spoken by their own people from within the ranks. In the words of Billy Ocean, when the going... I was inspired. It's actually 1986. It's not in the 90s, sadly. But I can't believe I'm that sad that I actually researched that. (laughs) Nehemiah does two things. He stations people at the lowest points of the wall. Uh, Posts them by family with swords, spears and bows. It says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. and Fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. He listens to the voices. He listens to the negative voices. And he takes them seriously. But he doesn't allow those negative voices to be the loudest voices. He counteracts them and says, be strong. Pray to the Lord. It's going to be okay. You know, when, when the grumblings occur from within the ranks, can have devastating effects. He, he listens, but he makes sure that his voice is loudest. And he speaks and encourages, says, come on, we can do this, we can do this. He positions people according to family. And remember how uh, the building of the walls, you know, such and such, they built the wall that was opposite their house. He posts the guards in families outside their house. No offense, someone's going to come to my house. I'm more likely to defend my house than your house. They can do whatever they like to your house, but they're not coming near mine. You know, and again, it's just genius leadership on his part. More likely to defend that bit. You're more likely to defend your own wives, husbands, children. And that's what he does. But he tells them, this is the most important thing. Nehemiah tells the people, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fear is the single most effective weapon from the evil one. And he will sow fear into our hearts and into our minds that will prevent us from stepping into what God has for us. And the thing is this, uh, The enemy knows this and he knows what is distinctly God's plan and purposes for each of your lives. He's he's formed you before in the mother's womb. He's knit you together. He has plans and purposes, plans to prosper, all that stuff for each and every individual. And the enemy knows it. And so often what happens, often, not always Often what happens is earlier in childhood and and, and growing up, the enemy will seek to rob, kill and destroy that will create fear so that later in life, when we step into the purposes of God, much more so, not that we can't when we're children, and it prevents us from actually doing the things. And that's called our stuff. It's the stuff that we invite Jesus into to heal us up and set us free from. 
But the enemy sees what, what's unique about each individual. And what he does is he sows fear. He creates situations, circumstances that happen in our lives. And it takes us away from what God has for us. How do we counteract? Perfect love casts out fear. That's it. Where do we go to get love? The whole world is trying to answer that question. It's going here, there, and everywhere to find that. But we know, the people of God, we know that God is love. And it's from him that we go to uh, to get love. Knowing God and hearing his voice gives us the courage to face the fear. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. So we're coming into land. Work continues. And from that day onwards, the men and the women, they double their efforts. They work round the clock. They work, they guard. They guard, they work. They half their workforce, because only half of them are building at one time, but half of them are guarding as well, with swords and spears and whatever it might be, to guard against the physical threat that's come against them. And in using that, um, whilst the, 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 the sword and the spear is, is, a, is, is a physical, uh, literal thing, it can also be uh, taken, I think, in the context of a spiritual thing as well. Many of us will know well the, the passage in Ephesians 6, the full armor of God where Paul writes uh, to the Ephesians there, the helmet of salvation that we know who we are, that we are saved, the breastplate of righteousness that a, that a soldier will wear, the, the breastplate that covers our, our hearts and our internal organized um, with righteousness, knowing that we are right with God, the shoes of good news, the gospel of peace, that wherever we go, he goes, his presence goes. The belt of truth buckled round our waist, that we know the truth, and the truth sets us free. The shield of faith, which is the one I, 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 that's the one I need for me and I suppose for many of you too. The shield of faith puts out the burning arrows, the fiery darts that the evil one fires in here. We take up the shield of faith. And the last one is the sword, the spirit of truth, which is the word of God. The word of God. Jesus is tempted three times. What does he do? He stands his ground and he fights with the word of God. And he quotes back scripture. He stands his ground and the man is like, well, right, and he just leaves. We're called to stand our ground. Folks, right now in amongst our community, we are taking ground. And it is wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And with it, whenever we step into God's purposes, opposition will come. And difficult circumstances and situations will come. And my encouragement to you through this is to fear not, is to stand with each other. Go to him, pray to him first. Go to each other and stand with each other. Do not be intimidated. Continue to fight and continue to build. The Lord will fight for you. 
You need only to be still. And we are done.